with your hands raised. Come on, eyes closed and your hands raised. Nothing else will do. Come on, you need to tell God nothing takes the place of you. Nothing else. There's no joy outside of you. There's no peace outside of you. There's no purpose outside of you. There's no life outside of you. building can you just lift your hands and tell the lord i desire a closer walk with thee god it's not about the blessings it's not about miracles god it's not about what you can give to me you don't owe me anything god i just want to let you know god i just want to live for you follow you serve you thank you jesus when you get to the point in your relationship with god that you're not in it for the benefits you're not in it for the blessings you're not in it for the fire insurance you're in it because you fell in love with Jesus and that this is the only thing that matters in your life you have arrived at the greatest point in your life tonight lead us in worship thank you so very much amen, amen. God bless you you may be seated amen I'm going to be reading through a portion of scripture tonight so you it's gonna be expository to some degree so you don't have to stand for the whole thing and all of that, so I, I know you respect the word, and normally we would, but because of, uh, as we move through a few scriptures tonight, I, I don't want you to stand up thinking I'm only going to read two, and then when I'm 18 in, you're like, I would not have stood up if I knew he was going to read 20 verses. And now it's awkward that i got to sit down. And so I'm warning you right now. If you want to stand, I'm not going to stop you, but I'm giving you fair warning. <laughs> Amen. I appreciate what I feel in the house of God. I love Sunday night service, amen, even when it's 1,000 degrees outside and 999 inside, I still love being in the house of God and um, appreciate all that he does. And I, in the summertime, have so much respect for the pioneers of Pentecost that would stand out in the heat and have church. Uh, it, it's, they would have thought this was the, the South Pole or North Pole, I should say. They, they would come in here and, and probably thought this was well, they're going to freeze to death. But uh, I, am, I appreciate their love for God and their determination, amen, to see God uh, move in their generation and then carry that on into future generations. And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And we'll begin reading in verse 1. After these things, Jesus 
showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. Jesus had already shown himself twice after his resurrection, and yet, despite Jesus showing up two other times after his resurrection, there was still an incredible amount of conversation going on in the streets and around the people and around the proverbial water coolers if Jesus was really alive, if uh, he was really walking on the earth again, despite him having already shown up twice. The unpredictability of when Jesus would appear may have even some of the disciples, his closest followers, doubting a little bit, particularly Thomas. Verse 2 they were together, Simon Peter and Thomas, called Didymus, Didymus and Nathaniel and Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and I like this part, and two other of his disciples. How would you like to be those two guys? They're not, their names are not even worth mentioning. You're not even important enough to put your name in the Scripture. We're just going to put two other guys. They were there too. Verse 3. Simon Peter saith unto him, I go fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. Now, I, I know that, and I have preached this, and, and it could be his motivation here. We have often preached about Peter going back fishing as if he's returning to his prior lifestyle before following Jesus. And we often uh, crucify him for that, and we paint him in a negative light, but we also need to entertain the possibility that maybe he was going back to where Jesus found him in the first place. When you lose Jesus, when you get sidetracked and you get distracted, I'll tell you the best thing you can do is go back to where you found him. Go back to the altar. Go back to the place where, where he found you there. And maybe that's what Peter was doing here when he said, I go fishing. Notice this. And they say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. Notice how, and I'm going somewhere with this tonight, in the absence of Jesus, notice how Peter most naturally begins to take the lead. He says, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples, they said, you know what? We're going with you. And yet some of these disciples that went fishing we're not even fishermen. I'm going to tell you, uh, it can be trying to take people fishing that are not fishermen. <laughs> because you know, ain't that right, Zane? You take people that don't know how to fish, you ain't going to fish either. I'm tangled up again. I'm in the trees again. And after a while, you realize, I'm not going to do any fishing either. And so Peter, he said, I'm going fishing and these other guys said, we're going fishing too. And some of them were not even fishermen. And yet, in the absence of Jesus, they gravitated towards Peter. He became somewhat of the, the natural leader. Verse 4, And when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? And they answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, 
And now they were not able to draw in for the multitude of fishes. That was probably a clue that he was not an ordinary person. This guy was an expert fisherman or something's going on because we ain't called nothing all night. He tells us to do this and we can't even carry all of the fish into the net. Verse 7, notice this. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now notice John, which is who the Bible is referring to here when it says that disciple that Jesus loved. John is the first one to recognize the Lord. And yet, despite him being the first one to recognize the Lord, notice what happens. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him. For he was naked, and I don't know why anybody would do that at fishing. And he did cast himself into the sea. Now, I think it's particularly interesting to note here that John recognized him first. And yet Peter, who we find as the natural-born leader, as the person who is consistently out front, who's consistently taking charge, whose idea it was to go fishing in the first place. He's the reason all of these guys have been out here all night. And he, once John noticed and recognized the Lord, Jesus, uh, Peter jumps out of the boat. Now, he didn't walk on the water like he'd done before. He just took off after the Lord in the water. He didn't wait to get to Jesus. He literally jumped into the water, and the Bible said he cast himself into the sea. He's the first to go fishing. He's the first to get out of the boat. Remember, this is the same guy who raced to the tomb to see the empty tomb and had to be first to get there. He always wanted the edge. He always wanted to be first. Now, I don't necessarily believe it was intentional with Peter. I believe it was in his DNA. I believe it was by nature he was a leader, and he instinctively wanted to be first. I've seen children, and growing up I was like this, and I prayed until the Lord helped me, and it didn't dominate my life, but I was so competitive as a child and even as a young person. To me, losing at any game was the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. It didn't matter if we was playing basketball or football or we just throwing a ball against the wall. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be the first at everything. It wasn't some, something I, I learned to do or was trained to do. It was just instinctive in me. I had a, a competitive nature. Now, thankfully, the Lord helped me in that um, it's, it's better to to win your soul and lose the game, right? And uh, that if your competitive nature constantly causes you to transgress your testimony and uh, cost you to, to look foolish and, and ignorant and make the Lord look bad, then you maybe shouldn't play, right? But there's something instinctively about Peter that he had this competitive nature from birth. He never wanted to settle for second. He never wanted to set up for a second. Verse 8, And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring a fish 
which you now have caught. Verse 11, Simon Peter went up, drew the net to the land full of great fishes. Here we see him again, taking charge and leading. And 150 and three, and for all there were so many, and yet was not the net broken. And Jesus said unto them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou, knowing it was the Lord now. They knew who he was finally. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. Now notice verse 14. We go through these series of affirmations that Peter experiences that you've heard so many times preached. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was risen from the dead. And so when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jodas, lovest thou me more than these? And he said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said to them, Feed my lambs. Verse 15, so when they had, or verse 16, he said to them, The second time, and he repeats the question. Verse 17, Simon, son of Jonas, thou lovest me. And Peter was grieved because they said unto him a third time. Now, of course, we know that Jesus, or Peter denied the Lord three times. And I can tell you that, uh, just as a side note, that you can never, in your denial and in your time away from God, and in your living for the world and living for the devil, you can't, you can't do that with all you got and then come in and start serving the Lord 50%. And so I believe that the affirmations was a way of Jesus telling Peter that however many times you denied, however uh, passionate you were about going that direction, you got to be at least that passionate going this way. And so his confirmations and his affirmations had to equal his denial. Verse 18, notice this. Verily I say unto thee, when thou was young, thou girdest thyself and walkest whither thou wouldest. When you were young, you got to go anywhere you wanted to go. Remember that? When you were young, man, I mean, you get up, hey, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to go down the street. I'm going to do what I want to do. I ain't got to go to job. I ain't got to go to work. He said, when you were young, you got to go where you wanted to go. But when thou shalt be old. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus is giving Peter a prophetic utterance for him in this moment. That when thou art old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee. You're talking about a competitive, fiery, independent individual who Jesus is now telling, big boy, there's coming a day when you won't get to go where you want to go because you're to be old and stricken. Others will carry you, and they will carry you places, he will go on to say, that you don't even want to go. Now, that had to be a hard pill to swallow for this boisterous, this uh, strong, independent man, Peter, who was now being told by the Lord, you're going to get old, and they're going to carry you places, and they're going to carry you places that you don't wanna even want to go. Now, he was ultimately, as verse 19 saying, signifying by what death he should glorify God. He was ultimately talking about the death of Peter. They will carry you where you don't even want to go. And then notice what he says in verse 19. He concludes that statement by saying, follow me. Follow me. Now this was a personalized prophetic utterance to just Peter directed at him and not at the others in this moment. 
Jesus had fastened his eyes on Peter. And he had directed his conversation and his remarks to him. And he said, I'm telling you, there is coming a day when you will be carried by others to a place that you don't even want to go, signifying his death. Now notice verse 18, or verse 20, I should say. Then Peter, running or turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, following which also leaned on his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is thee that betrayeth thee at the last supper? Peter turns to him. And notice what he says. Peter, seeing him, saith unto Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Mm. So I've heard you tell me what's going to happen to me. But I want to know what's going to happen to this brother. What, what, is, what is he going to have to do? Notice verse 22, And Jesus said unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to me or to thee? Follow thou me. You know what he said? None of your business. Mind your business. Don't worry about what I'm doing with him. Don't concern yourself with what's going on in his life. Don't concern yourself with my plan for him. You concern yourself with your direction and my purpose for you. And here, right here, in the midst, in the inner circle, it don't get no inner circle than this group right here. We see a spirit of competition has bled into the inner circle of Jesus. Even the most devoted followers, those that would turn the world upside down, they, yes, they struggled with an inward sense of spiritual competitiveness. In fact, on this Sunday night, preaching to so many here in my church who are devoutly devoted to the kingdom of God, I would say those who are more devoted to Christ and kingdom, those will struggle with an inward sense of competitiveness far above than those that are apathetic and just don't care. Now, it'd be pretty foolish for me to preach about spiritual competitiveness on Sunday morning because there's a vast majority of people there, they, they ain't trying hard enough to even compete. They're like that kid that don't even care if he wins. He just throws the ball. He's just happy to be there. He's that little kid running down the soccer field. He's running all off to the side. The team's running over here. He's waving at everybody. He don't care if he wins. He don't care if he loses. But to those that are here tonight, the devoted followers, those that, that I love and appreciate so much for your devotion to the church, the countless hours that you give every week to ministry, to the preparation of the building, to leading ministries. I thank God every single day for your passion and your zeal. Were it not for the countless lives that we've seen change through the years, we see it because of your passion and your zeal. I was having a conversation with someone this past weekend, and, and I said, you know, when you're in the ministry or, or when you serve for the church or you're in the kingdom of God and you're volunteering for ministries and leading ministries and you're at church all the time, there's a lot of people that don't understand that. Why are you there all the time? Why do you spend so much time? Why are you so dedicated to that? 
They feel that way right up until they come to church or they bring somebody to the church who's in a spiritual crisis and they're happy to see people like me. They're happy there's somebody like you sitting in the pew who's been there praying, who's had the AC turned on, that's cleaned the building, that's been on the platform practicing, that's been calling on God all week and can usher in the presence of God. I thank God for devoted followers of Christ that will give, will invest, will take time and prepare so that lives can be changed. Give yourself a hand. I love you and appreciate you. I thank God for those in the church that are not looking for minimum involvement. I thank God for people that I have to go to and say, you know what, you might need to delegate a little more. <laughs> you may need to take a break. Don't overdo it. Don't burn out. As a pastor, I appreciate having to go to people and say don't burn out as opposed to constantly just trying to keep them lit. <laughs> right? I would much rather have to encourage people to pace themselves rather than just them get off the couch. Thank God for wonderful people. Yet, yet, there's always the other side of the coin, right? In a highly motivated group of people, all passionate about the same cause, if we are not careful, we can start viewing each other as the competition and not as fellow soldiers. Come on, somebody. I don't expect to act the way you did this morning, but it's going to be good nonetheless. Here Jesus gives Peter a specific word. Now, how wonderful would it have been, even now, if you go home and Jesus is standing in your living room and he said, I've got something especially for you. Man, wouldn't that be powerful? And the fact is that this was only the third time that Jesus was seen after his resurrection. They didn't know how many more times they would see him. These intimate conversations face-to-face -face with Jesus in a bodily form, even if it was a modified or glorified body, was a rare moment. I mean, sometimes I get aggravated at the disciples. I'm like, man, do you know how awesome it is to have Jesus, God manifested in the flesh, there that you can touch and hear his voice. I mean, that's, I mean, I, I thank God he lives inside of me and I wouldn't trade places with him. But sometimes I get a little aggravated at him because it seems as if they disregard the honor of Jesus speaking to them. 101. And here Peter was being talked to by Jesus directly, a prophetic word just to him. And all he could worry about was what was happening with his brother. He was more concerned. That maybe his brother was getting off easy. We must understand that each of us, someone say each of us, have a race to run. A path that God has set for us individually. Peter was more concerned about someone else getting preferential treatment. He was watching John run his race and wanted to know what that course looked like when the reality of it is each of us have a race to run. A specific course to us to bring out the best in us. How many know, believe that God is all-knowing? 
There's nothing that he doesn't know. He has all wisdom, all power. And so I want to run the race that he sets for me. Because he knows me best. He knows what it's going to take for me to make it to heaven. He knows what it's going to take for me to one day dance on streets of gold. And if I am trying to run somebody else's race, if I'm trying to do what somebody else should be doing, if I'm more concerned that somebody else is getting preferential treatment, if I'm trying to run their race, I'm not running the race God has set for me. Notice what Acts chapter 20 and verse 24 says. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish. Someone say with me, my course. My course. It's individual to me. Honey, I don't know if you realize it or not, but we're all not running some race that somebody in this room is going to win the prize. God's not giving away MVPs. He's not giving away most valuable player, top score. Each of us have a race to run. And each of us have an individual course. Finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. 2 Timothy 4 and 7 I have fought a good fight. I have finished, someone say it with me, my course. I wasn't worried about what somebody else was doing. I wasn't concerned that somebody else had it easier. I wasn't concerned that somebody else was cutting a corner. Somebody else was more blessed and somebody else was more favored. Somebody else was able to do something I wasn't able to do. I can't concern myself with them. I'm praying for them. I celebrate with them. I'm there with them. But I've got a course to run. That's my course. It's my race. It's what God has designed and purposed for me because he is all wise. He is all sovereign. You can sit there and get mad because somebody you prayed for died and a brother or sister next to you prayed and they got their miracle. Or you can say, God, I may not understand it. I may not can wrap my mind around it, but I know it's my course. I know it's my race. I know it's your plan. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to have all the answers. God, I'm concerned about running my race for you. First Corinthians 9, verse 23. And this I do for the gospel's sake. This I do for the gospel's sake. First Corinthians 9, 23. That I might be partakers thereof with you. Know you not that they which run in a race run all? We're talking about this earth. Everybody runs, but one receiveth the prize. Now, that may not be necessarily true in 2023 as everybody gets a participation prize. <laughs> a bunch of participation prizes means professional losers, people that just do it all the time. You know, I've, I used to say all the time, people that are good losers probably are good because they do it all the time. But one in this earth gets the prize, so run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for mastery is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, an incorruptible crown. 
I like what the New Living Translation says. I do this to get the gospel to them and also for the blessing I myself receive when I see them come to Christ. In a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the first prize. So run your, your race to win. To win the contest, you must deny yourself many things that would keep you from doing your best. An athlete goes to all this trouble just to win a blue ribbon or a silver cup, but we do it for a heavenly reward that never disappears. Can I tell you that nobody's going to get your crown? Nobody's going to get your prize? Nobody's going to get up there and get what God has designed for you. I've got a crown that's specifically designed for my head. And if I run my race and I walk through those pearly gates, he will place that crown upon my head that I will most gratefully throw at his feet. But I promise you, none of you are going to get there and get my crown because it's my race. There's a race for you. There's a race for you. There's a race for you. There's a crown for you. A crown for you and a crown for you. I'm not in competition with you. I'm not running against you. I'm running alongside of you. I'm in this court that God has designed for me and nobody's going to get my crown. Mm. Now, if you don't think, you say, Pastor, I don't feel like I'm in a, I don't feel like I have a spirit of competitiveness. It's in your nature whether you realize it or not. <laughs> Someone drives a new car in the parking lot. And you get in your car on the way home and you're like. <laughs> right? Pastor says, oh, I want to recognize Brother Smith. Man, what a prayer warrior. I came by the church and I saw him praying this week. What a man of God. And your fleshly nature says, I pray all the time. I ain't never had the pastor bring me up to the front. Somebody sings a solo and they squeak a little bit. You're like, hmm. Why, why, why ain't they got me up there? I'm a much better singer. You're trying to run their race. You run your own race. Peter said, what about John? Jesus said, mind your own business. I got plans for John, but my plans for you are not my plans for John. And so follow me. Don't follow him. Don't follow what everybody else is doing. Jesus ended his remarks to Peter saying, you worry about my race for you. You follow me. You run your race. Now, if you don't think competition affects you spiritually or allowing a spirit of competitiveness fleshly competitiveness to enter into your spirit. Did you know that that spirit can affect how you hear and interpret what God is saying to you? That it is possible when you are consumed with about everyone else, worrying about what everybody else is doing, concerned that somebody else is getting the edge or somebody else is being blessed and all that. When, when you're affected, when you are influenced by that, you can't even hear what God is trying to say to you. You don't believe me? Notice what happens in verse 23. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciple should not die. 
And so they interpreted the words of Jesus when he said in verse 22, if I will that he will tarry, what is that to thee? When he said that, they interpreted that to say John wouldn't die. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not die. And Jesus said, not unto him he shall not die. But if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? You, being influenced and being concerned with what everybody else is doing, will affect your ability to hear from God. Because he was so consumed about what was going on in John's life, they heard Jesus to say John wouldn't ever die. Jesus said, I didn't say that. You were so worried about him getting the edge or him getting blessed or him getting favored or him doing something you can't do, you didn't even hear what I said. And so when you allow that spirit to seep into you, it will affect even how you hear the voice of God. The disciples were so concerned about John getting an advantage, they heard Jesus to say he would not die when Jesus said, rather, he will tarry. And when we are consistently concerned about others doing better than us and advancing further than us, being blessed more than us, advancing in the kingdom more than us, making more money than we're making, building houses or buying cars or getting promotions that we're not getting. When we get hung up on that, it will affect how we hear the voice of God in our life. I want to challenge all of our young adults, single, married, whatever. Don't get hung up on what somebody else is doing in the church. If they're buying a new car, you be out there shouting all around that car with them. If they're building a new house, you high-five them. You thank God for it. I'm thankful you're blessed. I'm thankful God's being there with you. I'm happy for you. Don't get caught up trying to run somebody else's race. Don't let a competitive spirit get inside of you. It will affect how you hear the voice of God. And is there anything more important than hearing the voice of God in your life? The competitive cloud had so settled in on the remaining disciples, they literally distorted the words of Jesus. When you constantly are concerned that others are being blessed more than you, recognized more than you, getting some type of preferential treatment or advantageous angle, you will start hearing what you want to hear even in preaching rather than what God is trying to actually say to you. Someone say amen. Jesus never said John would live until he came back. He was telling Peter, stay in your lane. Don't worry about what I'm doing with John. What is that to you? Follow thou me. If you don't believe that there is a competitive spirit in nature being circulated in this scenario, if you think I'm some, uh, somehow pulling out of the scripture something that's not actually taking place, I challenge you to go back and look at verse 7 of the same chapter. Verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter. Now who is this, John? What book are we in? Who says that about themselves? The disciple whom Jesus loved. Peter, I want you to know I'm the disciples that Jesus loved. 
I'm going to refer to myself in this book as the disciple that Jesus loved. I want everybody to know that. I want everybody to be aware of that as if he doesn't love you like he loves me. He doesn't care for you as much as he cares for me. He says it again in verse 20. Verse 20, he said, as if you didn't hear me the first time. Then Peter turning about, see the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> Let me talk a little bit more about me. Let me bring a little more attention to myself. Let me just remind everybody that I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. Is it any wonder that even in the inner circle of Jesus, there was a competitive edge as each disciple tried to strategically jockey for the lead, for the attention and the love of Jesus? Jesus knew in a few short weeks, Peter would be preaching the pivotal message of Pentecost, the inaugural message of Pentecost. And John would write on a revelation that Peter would never access. And these two knuckleheads are worrying about the other getting an advantage. Peter's worried about what John was doing, and John was making sure Peter knew he loves me. And Jesus had to be sitting there thinking, hey, dummies, I need both of you. Peter, in just a few weeks, you're going to walk into the upper room and you're going to preach the Acts 238 message. John, quit trying to puff yourself up and make sure everybody knows I love you because I'm going to give you revelations and you're going to be a benefit to the church. Can I tell the church body here, we need everybody. We need Peter. We need John. We need Thomas. We need Matthew. We need you. Each of you have a talent a gifting, an ability, a race to run, and the whole church needs the whole body. Don't get so consumed with somebody else and what they're doing in the kingdom. Peter, this is the third time you've seen him after his resurrection. How many times are you going to see him? How many face-to-face -face conversations are you going to have? And yet, Peter was more concerned about walking with John than he was with Jesus. Too many people in the church trying to keep lockstep with somebody else in the church. Too many people trying to keep up with the Joneses. Sister Jones, where are you at? Every time I say that, I think about you. She's like, boy, you don't run my race. I can tell you right now. You know, that's the funny thing. We think we want to run somebody else's race. Right? We think we want to put somebody else's shoes on. We always think somebody else has got it easier than us. And then we start running their race. and like, whoo, you know what? Keeping up with the Joneses ain't near as fun as I thought it was going to be. And so here was Peter more concerned with keeping up with John and John keeping up with Peter, and neither one of them was even hearing the voice of God. Can I challenge you today? Make your concern and make your chief passion and your chief zeal hearing the voice of God for your life and your race and direction for you. And if you see people being blessed, you rejoice with those that are rejoicing. If you see people advancing in the kingdom of God, thank God for it. 
I went to Bible school with people that are now preaching conferences and youth congresses and general conferences. I don't sit back there with my arms folded and pouting about it. I'm the first one to my feet. Thank God they're being blessed. Thank God they're being used. Thank God the kingdom of God is being advanced through their ministry. Don't let a competitive spirit get inside of you. We need every single person advancing the kingdom of God. Quit being more concerned about keeping up with your brother or sister and invest your energies in walking with Jesus. Because if either one of these men allowed a spirit of competition to remove them from the picture, we would have all suffered. We would have all suffered. Let us be reminded that when we focus on each other and are more concerned about keeping up with each other, we take our eyes off the real enemy. As a pastor, this is one of the most frustrating things. When I see people in the church get all tore up about small stuff. And I'm going, don't you know we got an enemy? We got a devil that we are trying to fight? Your brother and your sister, they are not the enemy. You may not agree with them. You may not even like them, but they are not your enemy. They are not the problem. And when you are constantly tore up and concerned and worrying about what's going on in their life and them getting an advantage or they're getting ahead of you, you are taking your eyes off of the real enemy. Did you know last month in New York, just last month in that city, there was a parade, and I'll just leave it right there because this is Sunday night. Everybody's in here. There was a parade downtown New York City, and they were chanting, We want your children. And you worried about somebody else in the church getting advantage over you? Man, you are, you are literally making the devil's job easy. Because you're taking your eyes off of that spirit. You're taking your eyes off of the real adversary that we have. The real spitter, spirit that's trying to interject itself into our, 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 our churches and in our families and in our generation. Honey, you rejoice with your brother. Turn your eyes back onto the enemy. Get down on your knees and pray for revival. opioids, fentanyl, heroin, cocaine, alcohol. These are addictions. They are the enemy. Not your brother, not your sister. My God. Understand and know. Jesus had to be standing there thinking, I'm here trying to save the whole world and these two guys are more worried about preferential treatment. There's a whole world to be saved. A perverse entertainment industry. Parents, that's the enemy. Not some other family in the church that bought something for their child that you haven't bought for your child. That's not the enemy. Right? You rejoice with everyone that's being blessed by God and you focus on the enemy that's literally trying to bring a perverse spirit into our families and even into our churches. A perverse education system. That's the enemy. Not sitting here. Not around you in church. The slaughter of millions of innocent babies through abortion, that's the enemy. A lying devil, a compromised doctrine, that's what we combat. 
You got a brother and a sister, and they're giving it all they got to serve God. They may not be perfect. They may have made mistakes. But if they believe the same doctrine you believe, they go to the same church that you go to. They sing the same songs. They breathe the same Bible. They got the same Holy Ghost. You need to get your eyes off of what's going on in their life, and you need to focus on the enemy, a lying devil, a compromised doctrine, a devil that's trying to take you out. When we start secretly strategizing to manipulate relationships in order to advance our position, that's when the flesh begins to take control and we can be no longer led by the Spirit. You can't be led by the Spirit when you are so in the flesh you're worried about getting ahead. Joseph said, I can either get ahead, get even, get revenge, or I can do what's right and advance the kingdom. Be led by God. Thankfully, today, you can be led by the Spirit. God can bless you wonderfully, and it don't have to be about anybody else. If being the leader is who you have been appointed to be, if being the leader is who you've been selected to be, that's one thing. But if that is something you've had to compete for, jockey for, elbow your way into to get it, that's another thing altogether. And if you are constantly looking at someone else, worried about how they got there and what they're doing while they're there, honey, can I tell you that you will not hear the voice of God in your life like you need to hear him. And I'll go so far as to say you will restrict your own blessing. When you covet something that God doesn't have for you, when you want something that God said that's not for you, when you're trying to run a race that's not for you and you covet that and you want that and you think about that and desire that, then you bind the hands of God. He can't bless that. He can't grant favor for you. But can you dance around somebody else's blessing? Then you open up the hands of God and he can bless you when you rejoice with someone else. The best version of me is not based on me being better than you. It's me being better than me. The best version of me is being better than I was yesterday. In fact, the best me is not discovered by being better than you. The best me is helping you find the best you. And when I help you find the best you, I find the best part of me, and we all win. We all win. Comparing the you of yesterday to the you of today, that's what you should be doing. Competition will elbow its way into every facet of your life. Everybody else is doing it. I better do it. You're in the hyphen group. Everybody else is getting married. I better get married. Come on, somebody. Everybody else is doing it. And so there's this pressure. There's this pressure of trying to keep up. This peer pressure that I thought we was all supposed to grow out of. Or the Hugo, they don't, do they? They cope with it better. They hide it better. They disguise it better. But as long as you're living in that cardboard box, you will always deal with the pressure of trying to keep up with somebody else. You need to walk in the Spirit and say, God, I want to do what you want me to do. I'm only going to follow you. Order the steps of a good man, Lord. Help me make decisions that are based on what you want and not me trying to keep up with somebody else. 
Every ministry should be contending for the faith, not competing for the faith. Entrepreneurial competitiveness is in our nature, and we all want the best. I love my leaders for that. They strive for the best. They strive for excellence. People that don't care, I have a hard time. That's my struggle. Nothing sends me to the prayer room than people not understanding that we are literally contending for the eternal destination of people's souls. But that in of itself is not a bad thing unless we fall to the temptation of peer comparison and not mirror comparison. I shouldn't be comparing myself with my brother. Not peer comparison. Mirror comparison. Am I better than the person in that mirror, better than he what he was yesterday? Am I growing? Is that person in the mirror, are they honest? Are they living for God with integrity? Are they striving to be all that God wants them to be? Are they following after God and being led by the Spirit? Is that person in the mirror doing that? If they are, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what's going on over here. Run your race. Run your race. If you're called of God to preach, wonderful. Nobody's more excited about that than me. Go for it. We need you. But don't go start preaching because all your friends are preaching. You better be called of God. You better know that you would sacrifice any and everything in your life to pursue the calling of God because it may cost you that. And if you are in it for the attention or if you are in it because your buddies are doing it or if you're in it because you think it's cool or you like the way the pastor sounds or looks or you're trying to emulate someone else, you're wasting your time and you're throwing your life away and you've allowed a spirit of competition to enter in. You better preach because it's such a burning desire inside of you that nothing else matters. I feel like if I don't do this, I'll never be happy. I can't pursue fulfillment in my life. This is what God has called me to do. Don't do it because somebody else is doing it. Don't let a spirit of competition push you into a calling that is not an actual calling. The American dream of you becoming anything you want to be is not theologically accurate. You cannot be anything you want to be. Not in God's kingdom. You be everything God wants you to be. And if that's a toilet bowl cleaner, I'm going to be a toilet bowl cleaner. If that's an usher, if that's a parking lot attendant, if that's a singer, if that's a pastor, if that's a preacher, wonderful. But I don't want to be what I want to be. I want to be what God wants me to be. Church, I'll tell you something. I'd rather have a God-called usher than a mic-clamoring preacher that ain't called of God. I'd rather have a God-called Sunday school teacher than somebody who's trying to get to the top of the mountain, who's trying to get the attention, who's trying to get the microphone, who's trying to get the competitive edge. I want to be called of God. I want to run my race. Get so close to God that you can rejoice with what God is doing through John or Thomas or anyone else. I'm going to say it, God, a God-called home Bible study teacher. Sometimes in prayer when I write this stuff down, I'm like, are you really going to say that? <laughs> Sounded good while I was praying, but now it's a little bit strong. But I'm one of those people that I believe that God can talk to me in my office while I'm praying, just like he can talk to me behind this desk. 
You preach with notes, absolutely, because God and I talk all the time. I don't need to stand up here and wait for God to tell me something. He told me something six hours ago. He told me something two weeks ago, and I'm going to say what he told me then. A God-called home Bible study teacher will put more souls on the other side than a mic-clamoring competitor ever will. Flame class, I love you. I appreciate you. I thank you for your passion and your zeal. But don't worry about how many times you're going to preach if you don't know where your home Bible study chart's at. Don't worry about when you're on the schedule next if you aren't reaching for souls, if you aren't witnessing, if you're not teaching home Bible studies. Do what God has called you to do. And the Bible says a gift will make room for itself. That promotion cometh from above. God will lead you if you will run your race. I'm about done. Acts 3 and 1. Notice what happens. Notice what happened when a spirit of unity replaces a spirit of competition. <laughs> Notice this. Peter and John. Woo. Now Peter and John went up. Someone say it with me. Together. They had dispensed with who was going to be the preferred, the disciple that Jesus loveth. What's going to happen to John? They had laid that aside. They'd gotten a revelation of unity. Now, when Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, verse 2, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Verse 3. Who seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked alms. And Peter, here he is, fastening his eyes upon him with John. The Word of God wants to make it so clear. We are working together. This is not a competition anymore. I'm not worried about you being first or me being first. We went up together. We fastened our eyes together. He said, look on, what did he say? Look on who? Not me. Not what I'm doing. Look on us. The entire spirit of the text is unity. They went up together. They fastened their eyes together. They were in lockstep. They wasn't worried about who was going to get the credit for the miracle. They wasn't worried about who was going to be there when it happened. Who was going to get the creds? They went up together. They fastened their eyes together. Look on us. And he gave heed to them, unity, expecting to receive something of them. Then said Peter, silver and gold, he did divert a little bit here. Have I none? I don't know what John's got. John may have some money, but I have none. But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked, entered, entered into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. 
Brothers and sisters, when Peter and John decide to work together, when the people of God refuse to allow a spirit of competition to enter in, miracles take place. If we want more miracles, we want more lame walking, we want more people filled with the Holy Ghost, we want more people baptized, we want more miracles seen. Can I tell you, it's going to happen when we decide, hey, I don't care who's getting blessed above me. I don't care who's being favored above me. I don't care who's getting elevated and escalated above me. What I care about is that miracles are taking place. Listen to pastor. Miracles happen when we feed off of each other and not on each other. When I see brother Ethan get blessed, my Lord, I, I get blessed. When I see somebody else getting a miracle, my Lord, I, I get excited. I'm not envious. I'm not coveting. I'm not trying to tear him down because I know when he elevates as the body of Christ, I elevate. When he gets blessed, I get blessed. When he's advancing, I'm advancing. And when we are advancing together, the kingdom of God is advanced. Miracles take place. Lives are changed. People are touched by God. good and how blessed it is for brethren to dwell together in unity the scripture goes on to say it's like that oil that flows down the man of God nothing brings anointing like unity nothing breaks the shackles like unity nothing breaks the back of the adversary like the people of God that are dwelling together in unity you got a race to run I got a race to run my race is not your race I don't understand why I may be going through things that you may never have to go through, but I ain't mad at you over it. I'm not upset at you over it. I ain't trying to make myself better than you because I'm going through it. I trust in a sovereign God that knows what he's doing. I don't look at you when something bad happens to you and say, well, they deserve it because you you when you're blessed and say, well, if I did that, I could be that guy. I'm rejoicing because one day we're going to cross the finish line together. <laughs> one day we're going to get around the throne of glory and we're going to take that crown that we've run for and when he hands it to us, we're going to cast it at his feet. And we're going to dance and glorify and exalt him for all eternity. It doesn't matter how you got there. Maybe you got there and you went through a lot of trouble. Maybe you had to endure tragedy and crisis in your life. Maybe I had it much better than you. But can I tell you, all of those courses lead to eternal glory with God. I'm so thankful you're blessed. I'm thankful that God is blessing you. I want him to bless you more. I'm thankful God is elevating you. I want him to elevate you more. 
because I know when we work together, when we go to the temple together, when we pray for people together, when we're in lockstep together, blame people get off cots. Miracles take place. Revival happens in the church. Walls are busted out. Expansions take place. The light is brighter. The, church, the, the city on a hill is more visible. When we are all together, they shall know that you are my disciples by the love that you have one for another. It's the distincting characteristic of the church. Lift your hands and say, God, uh, help me to love my brother and love my sister the way that I should. I know that unity brings power. I know that unity brings anointing. I know that when I'm in, my, in lockstep with my brother, I know, God, that when I'm, I'm praying for my brother and I'm worshiping with my brother, I thank God that it brings the anointing of the Lord. Come on. I want the whole body blessed. I want Peter blessed. I want John blessed. I want Thomas blessed. Come on, I love it. Thank you, Sister Thomas. It's like the dew of Hermann descending on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commences blessing life